Welcome to Neighborly. Optical Illusion. House number five, Little Street. No one could really say for certain when house number five was built. By the looks of it, it could be thirty years old, or perhaps fifteen rough ones would do the trick just as well. It might be as old as time itself, or perhaps it was built yesterday. No one knew. There was, in fact, very little anyone in the neighbourhood could concretely state about house number five. It seemed to have this air of uncertainty surrounding it, every centimetre in a state of never-ending metamorphosis that made it simply impossible to truly determine what the house even looked like. Of course, that impermanence was never really cause for much distress. One could, by looking very carefully, determine that house number five had two floors. Three, maybe. It was difficult to say. But one also could, perhaps, stare a bit too carefully for a bit too long and be overcome with the feeling that the house stretched far above the heavens or deep below the earth. That was of little consequence, though, because as soon as that hypothetical someone stopped looking at the house and their thoughts drifted even slightly to other places, the only impression they would have left of the house was that it was a rather charming place. A very similar description could be applied to the house's owner, a certain Mr. Souza, who had lived in Little Street for as long as anyone could remember. His eternal resident status would, in most cases, indicate a man of advanced age. But no one could really tell how old he was, and frankly, no one ever gave it much thought. It never seemed to be important to determine if he was twenty or eighty, and after all, what would knowing that even change for anyone? Not much, if I may say. If you were, for some reason, to ask around, you would find the general opinion regarding the mysteriously aged man was rather positive. Most people would describe him as a sweet, outgoing man, always very chatty, not a gossip, but certainly someone who somehow knew all about what was going on in the neighbourhood at any given moment. What does he look like, one might ask? Well, that was another of those complicated questions. He might be fat, but he also might be thin. He may be tall, but he may as well be the smallest man you've ever met. The only one of Mr. Souza's physical traits that anyone could ever describe were his big, shiny, and piercing blue eyes. They may be a bit disturbing at times, but one can always look away, after all, and is quite rude to stare. But Mr. Souza and his house weren't always so pleasantly mysterious. When he moved in, the man kept to himself. Some may have said that he was a bit secluded, living isolated from the rest of the inhabitants of Little Street. He would say his good mornings and thank you, sure, but that was about it. Of course, no one on Little Street could ever tell you that, no. 
To them, the owner of house number five was always the same outgoing, friendly fellow that he is today. Mr. Sose's change in character wasn't brought on by anything as simple as a few pleasant cups of tea shared among neighbours. No, that change came from something else, something that can only be found inside the memories of house number five. After all, the house is the only thing that can recall any information about the man and the reasons that led him to take up residence on Little Street. Fernando Souza was a writer. At the beginning of his career, he tried his hand at poetry, but that didn't quite work out. Instead, he exchanged his passionate verses that spoke of love and sorrow for newspaper articles that spoke of, well, just about anything, really, if he could get a payment out of it. He would go so far as to analyze the different sounds of the millions of car horns that screamed in the city streets. Speaking of the city, Fernando didn't like it at all. It was too noisy, too crowded, and, most of all, too filled with constant reminders of all the daily tragedy that he had to have thoughts and opinions about for the readers of the newspaper to enjoy. Or not. That resentment grew and grew within the man who wished desperately, as I'm sure many others do, to leave the urban chaos and just settle down somewhere. Live out his days calmly, maybe even write poems again. One day, as he hopelessly browsed a frankly rather shady real estate website, he found the escape he was looking for in the form of House Number 5 Little Street. He couldn't really tell what it looked like by the pictures of the website, and the written information was also lacking, but he knew two things for certain. The house was very cheap, and he could not let it go. Absolutely not. After a few weeks of rushed negotiations and moving, Fernando Souza was the proud owner of house number five. He could not, for the life of him, remember anything about who had sold him the house. Not a single bit of information lived in his mind, not a name, not a surname, nothing. Fernando had completely forgotten all things that could give the seller even a scrap of identity. It was as though the house had sold itself to him. But of course, he didn't really dwell on that. He was much too pleased to think of mysteries and worries. He was finally freed from his urban tormentor, and maybe, he thought, not without irony, he would be able to write much nicer things about people if he lived as far away from them as possible. Fernando had no way of knowing this, so it never occurred to him, but as soon as he set foot inside house number five, the post announcing its sale vanished from the face of the internet and along with it went the entire website. Rather efficient, wouldn't you say? The writer fit very well in his new home. After all his things were out of their boxes and all the furniture was in place, he felt like he might come out on top after all. His personal library, catalogued carefully and worthy of a man who once called himself a poet, fit perfectly within the four walls of his room. There could be no book more and no book less, or else our dear writer's equilibrium would be sadly broken. Once he was all moved in, Fernando became quite dedicated to his lonely goals. He made a point to ignore his neighbours, which was very easy, since everyone else seemed to want nothing more with him than to say their polite good mornings and move on. He also avoided gathering any knowledge about any of the fellow residents of Little Street. The man reasoned that he already had to know way too much about way too many people to do his job, and when it came to his neighbours, a name was really more than enough. It wasn't like they were interesting, his neighbours. Just ordinary people. 
House number five was a bit noisy, full of the creaks and cracks that belonged to an old home. Was it old? Fernando asked himself. He didn't know. He didn't remember. He had to have known one day, he thought. No one in their right mind buys a house without having at least some idea of its age. Was he in his right mind? No, that's a silly thought. Of course he was. The house is old, yes. Someone had told him that at one point. He was sure of it. The writer banished those unfortunate thoughts every night as he went to sleep to the sound of footsteps. Never mind the sounds that climbed up the stairs after he had already settled in his bed at the top floor. Old houses are very loud. Everyone knows that. The sounds continued. Delayed footsteps followed his every move. Maybe he should call someone to change the wooden floors. It was a structural issue, no reason to fret. There was also... No, there wasn't anything at all. It was fine, all fine. He just needed to pay a visit to the optometrist. He had to have his eyes checked. He hadn't had them checked in a while. And wasn't there a condition that made people see flying black dots? He read that somewhere. He was sure of it. His eyes were fine, the doctor said. He tried to think of alternative explanations, but that was fruitless. At the end of the day, questioning his state of body and mind was much, much scarier than ignoring the dark figure in the corners. And so he lived, chased inside his own house by sounds and figures he tried oh so desperately to ignore. But ignoring is a hard thing. The human brain, you see, is a curious little creature. It loves peeking into places that are better left alone. It cannot let an itch go unscratched. Even if the mere touch to the itching, aching skin would make it fall apart. So Fernando thought and paid attention. Every time he turned one eye from the figures or blocked one ear from the noises, the other would betray him. Alert and curious to the things it should not and could not fully understand. One day, in a fit of cruel irony, he could not bear the movements in the empty house, so he ran. He ran into the street like a man possessed, looking desperately, frantically, for another human being, a person of flesh and blood, not of noise and shadow, but it was of no use. Little Street was empty, deserted. Fernando jumped inside the nearest store. Was it a pharmacy? A grocery store? He couldn't tell, but frankly he couldn't care either because lo and behold, there were people there. The writer saw an old woman and in that moment he knew what hope meant. He could gaze upon the light at the end of the tunnel. Light is an interesting thing, don't you think? It's a wave, the fastest one there is. It can travel through space, through the endless vacuum of the universe, and yet it could be created by a tiny, miserable light bulb. If metaphors were literal, that was what Fernando's light would have looked like. A pathetic light bulb in front of a concrete wall, like in a cartoon. The old woman did not answer his greetings, his questions, or his desperate calls. No, she simply ignored him, as if she couldn't see or hear him at all. He went through that cycle for a bit, walked into a store, saw a person, felt hope, and had that hope smashed right in its face. I could spend hours telling you the desperate things he said, his pleas for mercy, his fits of anger, his loud tears. But I'm not interested in that, and frankly, neither are you. So, suffice to say, Fernando tried and Fernando gave up. He walked back to house number five, defeated and afraid. 
When he opened the door, he expected to be greeted by the symphony of mocking sounds that had followed him for... How long had it been? Days? Months? Oh well, that really doesn't matter now, does it? He also expected another dark figure to welcome him into his home, but curiously enough, neither of these things came. The writer climbed up the stairs to his room. No footsteps followed him this time, but even if they had, it is unlikely that Fernando would have heard them, as all sounds were drowned out by the desperate beating of his heart. When he went inside his room, thinking that maybe a bit of reading could calm his nerves, or perhaps could make him feel close to someone, anyone, he found something that, by all accounts, should not, no, could not have been there. A thick, red book, decorated with golden lines and with nothing written on the cover placed on one of the corners of the shelf that, up to that point, could not have been able to fit any book beyond the ones from Fernando's collection. He walked towards the impossibly placed book and picked it up. Fernando was terribly, painfully afraid, and above all else confused, but it seemed like his body had failed to acknowledge that as it opened the red book calmly and mechanically. Inside those pages lived Fernando's entire life. Every thought he had ever had, every passion, every dream, every word he ever spoken, every lie he'd ever told, all laid out in front of him. It was the most detailed biography of the most mediocre life, and he could not stop reading it. I could try to tell you how much time Fernando spent in that state, forcibly gazing upon his very existence. But time was a very meaningless thing at that moment. If you could even call it a moment. Suffice to say, it took an eternity, and no more than one second, for the man to be one page away from the ending. He fought it, fought whatever power that wanted to make him not only witness to his own demise, but to make him bring it upon himself. The writer tried desperately to hesitate, to gain even one more second of life. But of course, things don't work that way. Fernando could no longer back away, perhaps because he had sealed his fate the moment he bought the house, or perhaps because he never had a choice. He turned the page. A tiny earthquake took control of every centimeter of the house, and a loud, ringing noise blared through the corridors like an alarm. Amidst this chaos, Fernando dropped the book, startled, and his gaze was immediately turned to the two windows of his bedroom. I assume you've seen an optical illusion at some point in your life. Perhaps you saw a vase that looked like two faces or a dog that also looked like a bird. Regardless, it's likely that after you determined what you thought the image was, it took some focus and influence of circumstance for you to be able to see the other, hidden image. This experience is not entirely unlike what Fernando felt when he looked, and I mean, really looked, at the windows. For he had never noticed that, under the light of the moon, they looked a lot like a pair of shining blue eyes. The eyes blinked, and a large, dark figure appeared in front of them, taking the windows into its own face. It looked at Fernando, who at this point could do nothing but stare in terror, try as he might to move his feet. The blue-eyed shadow slowly approached the petrified man and lightly, oh so lightly, touched his shoulder. The bedroom became dark, 
like a black hole had suddenly decided to reside in number five little street that might have been in some way exactly what happened but then again it's hard to say and in that moment fernando was nothing but he was also everything had he vocal cords and a mouth to make up words with, he might have said that his entire self was being ripped apart, torn into tiny little pieces that were shot to the sky, travelling far beyond the house for all the universe to see. Fernando was everywhere, and Fernando was nowhere. Inside the, what I shall now call the black hole, there was... Not only Fernando, there was the house, the shadow, and standing quietly in its own little corner of this private hurricane, there was the book. Of course, things weren't so linear as they sound. For an unimaginable period of time, it was rather hard to tell where one of them began and the other ended, or if they had limits at all. Fernando was the house, and the house was the book, and the book was the shadows, and all of those things were separate and together and united and torn. Until, of course, they weren't. A metamorphosis, dear listener, is a lovely thing, even if it may not seem so to everyone. Was Fernando happy about the existence he was now experiencing? Who could say? Certainly not him, as there were no more Fernando Sosa to answer our burning questions. Fernando was now a shadow, an idea, a smile among millions of teeth, a speckle of light in the corner of the bright, shining blue eye. He was now part of something bigger, something more. A being that we cannot describe nor comprehend, but that all the folks on Little Street nevertheless chose to greet with a smile and call Mr. Souza. Despite the marvellous transformation I have just described to your eager ears, none of the residents of Little Street can really say for certain what happened that morning. If you were to walk by house number five, you would see the birds flying around it, looking for something. Who could say? Maybe they were just enjoying the view and the beautiful rising sun. Maybe you would never be able to notice, but just this once, I will share a little secret. House number five was one floor taller that morning. How many floors did it have? Well, that's just asking for more than I can give you, I'm afraid. But even the ever-observant birds could not notice the movement inside the house. Don't blame them for this failure, really. After all, the noise of a book being picked up from the ground and being put back in its rightful place is not particularly loud. What they did hear, though, was Mr. Sozo walking down the stair, opening his front door, and happily declaring to a person walking down the road, Good morning, neighbor! Neighborly is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Chair Alike 4.0 International License. Today's house was written by Angelo Torres and edited by Matthew O.K. Smith, with music by Alex Schwartz and art by Claudia Appelard. The narrator is voiced by Matthew O.K. Smith. To find out more, visit neighborlypod.car.co or follow us on social media at neighborlypod. If you enjoyed listening today, information on how you can support us will be included in the episode description. Most of all, we would appreciate it if you told a friend, because they might tell a friend, and they might tell a friend. And who knows? Eventually, God might finally listen to us. Today's favorite word is conglomeration. Can you use it in a sentence? This conglomeration of fingers doesn't know what it's doing. Thanks for listening. Come.
this world is not our own. It may look the same for the most part, but things are different here. Myth is history, not legend. Welcome to a Rendezvous with Destiny, a Sky on Actual Play podcast. Forever, I am your GM, Luce, and with me today I have... Hi, I'm Graham. I play Elspeth Lockwood, the Guardian of Balder. Elspeth has realised that she is in a divine library, and she's definitely going to at least at least make a hold, if not take out some books. Um, my name is Elspeth Lockwood, and I have borrowed your copy of... Um, does it have an ISBN number? I assume it does not. Uh, hi, I'm Will. I play Cleo Brewer, who is a chosen of Bast. I, I like, like, sorry, sorry. Is is there anyone who 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 is, looks like they are available but wants to fight? You just wipe this guy out completely. You, as soon as you clasp hands, you slam his hand into the table. If there's anyone watching us, I want to just do like you know the predator handshake with them. Hi, I'm Am, and I play Flora Watson, daughter of Sun Wukong, the Monkey King. I have a backup plan if we can figure out what the trap does. I feel like Flora's plan is just like to throw something down the corridor and see what happens. I was actually gonna just run through it really fast and activate it. I'm very fast. I'll be fine. All you can see is his. He is face down on the desk. And just sort of making a low groaning noise. You alright there, Mr. Hades? No. They have jumped upon Ra's barge and headed through an archway into the underworld. Oh, I haven't properly introduced myself, have I? I'm Loki. Nice to meet you. A Rendezvous with Destiny is available on Spotify, Acast, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Come follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rwd underscore pod.